Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. Here's a message from friends of the show. No one knows where it began, and no one knows when it will end. But every single being in this realm knows war. War is chaos, but in their hands it's more. They attack with cold and methodical precision, as though they mean every death, every scar, and every orphaned child. They are not fighting to survive as we are. They are fighting for the win. For glory, for balance. Seeing the atrocities of the balances indirectly through the imaginings of words can never pale in comparison to seeing them firsthand. The experience could be likened to an unfeeling, to non-existence. Perhaps, in the shadows of our enemies, you seem insignificant, and if it were up to them, you would be. However, I am here to say, you are not. The balances strive only to kill you and step over you to the next one in line. With you in their path, they are one step further from the next, one step further from your friend, one step further from your family. You are the most important piece in this fight, and joining is the right thing to do. Hi, I'm Kel of Awfully Queer Heroes. What you just heard is a portion of lore from my current Kickstarter. It was recorded and edited by the good people of Control Group, who can be found on Twitter. The Kickstarter is a level 1 to level 20 campaign, where you fight as the forces of chaos against the oppressive forces of order and balance. It has new playable races, merging with elementals, a fully randomised tower, and so much more. A link to the campaign can be seen in the description below, and I hope to see you there. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So today we are going to be doing one of the things that we here at Tabletop Journeys absolutely love doing. We don't do it often enough. We wish we could do it more, but we have got uh, another awesome creator from the tabletop role-playing game space in shop tonight to go ahead and talk about their latest project. Everybody, let me introduce you to Jimmy Flowers from Splinterverse Media. Jimmy, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for coming on. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. So let's start. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what y'all are doing over at Splinterverse Media. Yeah. So I make YouTube videos and books for Dungeons and Dragons through DMs Guild and Drive Through RPG, and just been doing that since the beginning of 2021 and having a good old time with it. Oh wow, that's great! So I'm going to dive right into a question right up front here because right. Me so too. I know that there are three books that you have sent us. You just started at the beginning of this year with those. Yes, with the books. But (laughs) I was doing the videos before that, and I was fortunate enough to work in traditional publishing prior to 2021. Oh, okay. So yeah, I had a little bit of a leg up in terms of experience. (laughs) You definitely have some experiences to draw from. Okay, cool. Yes. Don't get us wrong. We have some content creation ideas, but trying to get them off the ground like three professional quality books done since the start of the year, that just seems crazy. Yeah, Yeah. That's a whole nother level, but you know what it starts with? And I'm going to go back to something we talk about on the show all along. Background. You started with a background. Yeah, Yeah, that's sort of a... 
was talking to Lee. Call to Arms is background. So that's a. Uh, anywho. All that to go ahead and say, we are really, really excited to have you on tonight's show, Jimmy, uh, because so we want to talk about your latest book, The Feywild Companion, because obviously right now, Feywild on D&D is huge. It is a well-known secret by this point that us over here at, at uh, Tabletop Journeys, we have mad love for Fey in all its incarnations and everything like that. So we really wanted to go ahead and talk about Feywild Companion tonight and dive in here and really get into the book. I mean, I was so impressed with kind of the scope of this book. I did not expect when you asked us to go ahead and talk about this, that what we were going to be getting was a 150 page (laughs) campaign, like full campaign weighty quality book. I really didn't expect that. So I guess that's where I wanted to start tonight is tell us about the origin of this book. How did this book come together? And how did this happen? (laughs) No, good question. So just to back up a little bit. So I started making these books and the goal for this year is really to just establish the brand and what I'm up to and kind of show people what I can do. Because when I first decided to step into the space, I thought, oh, I could do a Kickstarter or whatever. But then I was thinking about, well, what do I look for in a Kickstarter? And when I go to a Kickstarter, I read about the team and I'm like, if I started a Kickstarter today, people would be like, who is this person? I don't know what he's done or if he can make a book or not. So I decided that 2021 was just going to be sort of the brand building year where I would just start making these books, show people what I can do and just make it the best quality as close to wizard's quality as I can get. And then in 2022, maybe do some Kickstarters with people understanding what they're going to get from me. And, and I've proven that I can meet deadlines. I mean, we delivered multiple books already this year before the wizard's book, the day before trying to time, like our, our Van Richten's book was the day before their Van Richten's book. The Feywild book was the day before theirs. So just demonstrating that I can meet those deadlines so that, like I said, when I do those Kickstarters, people can see that I can deliver. But beyond that, I mean, you mentioned the length of the Feywild Companion. I had done these earlier books in the year with myself and a small team of you know editors and artists. And I thought, I really want to work with other writers this time and try to get more people in the community, get some money to them as well as artists. And so this I did open submissions and started in May and started writing and was able to get 150 pages done in time. (laughs) And really, we had time to spare, which was nice because we wanted to play test. We wanted to check things and make sure it was just as polished as could be, because I really want when you get a Splinterverse media book for it to feel as close as possible to an extra book dropped by Wizards. And you're just like, where did this come from? I had no idea this was coming. (laughs) Yep. That's great. That's fabulous that you kind of had that extra time. That was honestly going to be one of my questions is that some of the, and we'll get into the rules, I can I think in, in more detail as the episode goes on here, but some of the rules are really, really comprehensive. And, and like, I'm thinking about particularly like the fake glamours and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of meat on that bone. Yeah. And that was going to be one of my questions is how did that play test and how did that come across? Because I'm looking at it and I'm like, there's some really, really cool stuff in here. And uh, to hear that you kind of baked extra playtesting time into the cake is really encouraging. And certainly, I think bodes well for your future sort of uh, Kickstarter stuff. No, and I love the fact that the way that you described your collaboration as you started yeah. working on these. Because, yeah, it's, it's easy-ish to be the sole you know, person steering the ship when it's just you hunkered over your computer. Yeah. You're the only writer. you got no other creative voices. But... You get so much more diversity in the ideas when you collaborate like that. And I think that really shows through based on what I've read of your Wild book. Because yeah. I was going through it and I was looking at, it's not just the comprehensive detail of the way that you have a lot of the rules written and the way that you've expanded on and balanced the things that you've created for the most part. I'm not going to say that there's not anything in there that could be a yeah. little bit. Sure. But that collaboration brings so much diversity and to the mix and it really showed in the way that the book was written because it wasn't just about how well the rules were laid out or the way that you had expanded or balanced a specific piece, but it also brought such amazingly different flavor to the different sections and the different pieces. Just going through Duallis, your domain of delight and the different areas and the way that they're detailed and how wildly different they are, but still all kind of working together. I just thought it was really amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I want to double down on that. As you're talking about how it came together, it kind of makes 
a lot of sense because I know that when I've thought of ideas or said, oh, let's do X, it's like we've got character books. And a lot of DMs Guild is there's a bunch of character choice options and then smatterings of ideas of other things. This is a complete project. Yeah. Yeah. It is more than just here's how to build some characters for the Fae. It is more than just here's some additional rules for the Fae characters you have already built. It's right. putting both of those things together. It's adding stuff about the realms. It's adding all those things. Josh mentioned the glamours, which are amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm just even the two backgrounds you did were I so well. I knew it. <laughs> Thank you. I read the backgrounds and I was like, Luanika is going to talk about the backgrounds. I knew it because like, that's my thing. <laughs> I, lo- I really love them too. I loved them too, Leo. I was yeah. right oh, there with you. you. But not just the fact that they're backgrounds, but you took the time to do all the bonds and flaws, and all those options are yeah. very unique very specific all fit that overall theme that's not something that's easily done by a single person it is something that's done by a team and if you're part of a team or leading a team or managing or editing a team and pulling that all together that's how you get a project like this and and you know content creators should take note i know we are taking note this is kind of the type of thing that we would we strive to be to get to no it's, it's like a roadmap kind of, you know, of, of success. I mean, it really is. It, it covers all the bases from the characters straight to a fully fleshed out domain of delight and adventures and encounters. It, it's all in there. Yeah. I mean, it, any three schlubs can take character builds and put them on DMs guild. It really takes some care to go. Yeah. Cause I'm totally talking about us and that like that's, you know, yeah. it takes some care to go ahead and write a 150 page book of this quality. And so, I mean, we could sit here and talk about how awesome this book all day long, but <laughs> yeah, we're honestly, so I want to, I want to, I want you I, to I'm, talk about it. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so, you know, we should looking up. at kind of the scope of the book here, I'm like the king of the awkward question, Jimmy. So I'm going to dive sure. right in here. What is something that you wished you could have included in the book, but wound up on the cutting room floor? Hmm. What's the one thing that you wish was in here that's not? Uh, Maybe doing multiple subclasses per class. I mean, we only did one subclass per class. And I would have, you know, if we had infinite budget and time, it would have been nice to do more than that. I think the ones that we have are awesome, but it would have been fun to do two for each. I love that you brought up the subclasses because I got (laughs) to say the artificer subclass calligrapher. Yes. I freaking love it. Awesome. Yeah. Where did the inspiration come from for that? Just because I got to hear the story of how the calligrapher came to be. Yeah. So Matt Kimberlin, who is my dev editor, he wrote or they wrote all of the subclasses, the mechanics, and then I did the lore tables except for mirror domain. I did all of that one. So I'm not sure exactly where in Matt's head that came from, but <laughs> they have so many ideas. And I love working with Matt because Matt is just a wonderful person and they've been a DM for 20 years. And that expertise is just invaluable when you're making a book like this. And we were so happy to include the Artificer, right? Because it's kind of not in the player's handbook. And so it's an extra kind of an extra class. And we, right. we were hoping we'd have room to include it. And we, and we did. And Matt actually pitched multiple ideas. And that was the one that we just landed on because there were a lot of good ideas from Matt. I, I totally agree that the calligrapher was an awesome addition, and it was also nice to go ahead and see more Fisher stuff in there. That's it's like you're reading my notes over here, Jimmy. So, <laughs> yeah, one of my favorites, but so is the mirror domain that you that you mentioned. Yes, you just segued nicely into that one oh, as well. Thank but, you. Sorry, <laughs> I was going to say the calligrapher grabbed my eye immediately. Like one of the first things when I look at a new book is. I look at the table of contents and I look for the things that grab my attention. Number one was the uh, calligrapher subclass. Um, well, not yeah. Well, as writers, I mean, thinking of a calligrapher kind of like a writer, I mean, those writing instruments and being able to write in the air and just the mystery yeah. of it. I mean, you can mm-hmm. think of the hooks of, you know, you see down an alleyway, somebody sketching something in the air and it's magical. It's so visual. I just loved it. The minute I read Matt's draft, I was like, this is so special. And it's the first one. You described it perfectly, my reaction to it, actually, as a writer. <laughs> yeah. like, I loved the visual of it. That's amazing. Yeah. And then yeah. one of the things that also struck me, because of all the things we've been working on for the past year involving the Fae, my favorite is the rabbit folk barbarian I built. And then I saw <laughs> the uh, path of uh, the, 
I'm going to get the title right here, Path of the Blinking Pack. And I yes. love Blink Dogs. And I've yes. been trying to find ways to bring in more fey creatures and have them be a regular part of things. And this is just fun. I mean, I have not yet played a barbarian, though I built that rabbit folk. But if I will almost guaranteed my first barbarian will probably be one of these. And I just because I love blink dogs, I have traditionally loved blink dogs and a character raised by wolves, so to speak, or raised by is everything in fiction to me. It's everything that I want to do and all the fun stuff, all kind of wrapped up in one ferocious. (laughs) Yes. A heron gone raised among wolves is such an interesting image too. Like I know the the rabbit folk barbarian has been has been again one of these kind of themes that's come out since the UA first came out. We talked about it about this yep. awesome build for for a rabbit folk barbarian, uh, and then you get the rabbit folk raised among wolves. Like that just brings it to a whole other level. So I will say the thing that struck me most about reading through the subclasses was how much thought went into the mechanical structure of the subclasses. I mean, yeah. these subclasses were crafted with care mm-hmm. and to make sure that they were balanced. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that process and the process that you and your team went through to go ahead and make sure that they were that this balanced because they just on first read seem so well-crafted. Yeah. So some of that is Matt because Matt is just really skilled at balancing things. That's why they are the dev editor in charge of of balance on all of my projects. But one of the things that we also did on the project as a whole is, because again, I'd never worked with a group of writers on this kind of material. I'd worked with them outside of TTRPG stuff, but this was the first time on TTRPG. So I thought I would try something. And so I said to them, here is a Discord server. You can come in here, learn about how we're going to make this book behind the scenes, read other parts of the book that you're not involved in, share your feedback if you want to. It's all volunteer. You know, you're getting paid for your writing, not for your time. So I totally understand if you don't want to participate. And I thought, you know, maybe nobody would want to, but a lot of people wanted to, a lot of the contributors wanted to. And so what we would do is I did the layout, so I would lay out the book, and when I would finish the section, I would drop it in the server, and then they would read it and share their feedback, and it was awesome because everything from typos to balance questions to suggestions would come through, and it was was just a really great mirror to see, are we way off here? What's going on? And it was fun. And Matt, I can't say enough about Matt because Matt is always thinking, what are the spaces that Wizards has touched? Where have they already made a subclass? Where have they already done this? And so Matt will help identify places that we can reach into that we don't think Wizards is going to go to, but it's not outside the realm of possibility of working. You know, it's not going to be OP or whatever. Right. Yeah. So with the goal being get to an area that they have not expanded, but they have mentioned visited and then we can do the expansion then it feels like it's routed in something built into the game versus i'm doing something totally new that had never been thought of before and therefore it comes across as not working well not blending well or being too case specific yep yeah because i have four pillars that i established for the brand that i want all the products to have the number one is balance and by balance i mean i want the things that we make to be balanced within the realm of what Wizards has put out. And granted, that's a wide range because some things are underpowered and some things are overpowered that they've released. And you can't balance (laughs) for every single table because every table is different. But within those realms, we want our stuff to fit between the two ends of what they have produced. So balance is the first pillar. Then we've got quality, whether it's the layout, the look of it, the feel of it, it should have a quality feel to it. Then we've got inclusivity and the characters and the people participating in the projects. We want people from all walks of life to feel like they're represented and can participate. And then the last one is creativity and that we want to think outside the box. We don't want to just put out subclasses. We want them to be special. We want all the books to be something contributing something new to the space, innovating where we can so that it's not just another book on the shelf. Maybe it's something special. Yeah. And I want to hearken back briefly to just what you described as your co-editorial process with the people that you worked with. I think it's awesome that they were willing to do that, uh, particularly, you know, being paid for the writing versus the review, but what an origin story for the way the book came together. Cause how else could you take six different people's writing 
for a section of a book and weld it into one cohesive piece, but to get all of their feedback on it. So I loved that. Um, It's exactly the model that we would like to move forward with whenever we're collaborating with people too, is to always have them involved in the process right through the end to make sure it's as, you know, right as it can be. One thing that we talk a lot about on this show are subclasses. We do a whole series of of subclass uh, type episodes where we talk about subclasses throughout the books and everything like that. And one of the things that struck me most about these subclasses was the attention, again, kind of the attention that is paid to not just how the subclasses are built, but how a character can progress through that subclass. Yes. That's something that I touch on a lot when we talk about subclasses is, is you know, what are the higher level abilities of this? Is this character going to be as much fun on at level 15 as it is at level six and all that kind of thing? So how did that kind of factor into your process and, and how did you kind of get, uh, you know, cause I think that, uh, I think a lot of people listening, uh, a lot of people who want to produce content should pay attention to how you did this. And so I'd be, uh, be yeah. curious to see kind of what your process was like on that. Front. Yeah. I mean, Matt and I have a lot of conversations. Matt's worked with me on every one of my books and there's just things that I say at the beginning that I'm looking for. And one of the things is always, okay, you know, I want it balanced between the most powerful thing and the least powerful thing. I want people to feel comfortable picking these subclasses over the published ones by wizards because otherwise, what's the point? I could go overpowered over wizard stuff, but then you get angry DMs. I don't want people cursing me or Splinterverse Media when they're <laughs> right. playing this book, right? So right. we're trying to get right on that line where we're powerful enough that you want to pick it, but we're not so powered that you get angry. And so it's just something that we look at together. Matt is the expert in it. I do my best to help with it. I'm not the balanced guy, but I do help with that. And we're okay challenging each other and saying, well, is it going to read this way or is that going to work? You know, that's the other thing you want to look for if you're going to work with people is can they take really strong constructive criticism? Can they take challenges, devil's advocate kind of talk to eventually get you to the place you want to be? And In my career of writing, even beyond the RPG space, when you can find a collaborator where you're willing to just keep going until you reach a solution that you're both happy with, you're going to win. Because if you try hard enough, you will come up with a solution. That's awesome. Right. You know, as you were speaking about how you want them to not be so overpowered that DMs won't let them at the table but you still want it to be just powerful enough where it makes for a great option. I'm looking at a fighter build. And honestly, if there are subclasses that get overpowered or way underpowered, it's always the fighter subclasses. I'm looking at the court guard and I'm like, this is amazing. Thank you. This is the kind of thing that would be a lot of fun. If you're playing a character of any kind that has not yet reached third level and then your game shifts into the fey realm or becomes much more fey involved this would be fun to do i can see this being one that would be a really welcome choice for for a fighter for a fighter build and again it's not overpowered it doesn't blow the mechanics of the system but would be very unique and it really breaks that whole fighters are samey kind of thing And what we tried to do, like with the court guard as an example, is we didn't want them to be bound to just the Feywild, even though each one of them is Feywild and Fey-inspired. The court guard could be from a celestial court, a vampire court, any kind of court. And so it's exciting to think that these subclasses can even be used outside of the Feywild. Yeah, I think um, I was very happy to hear you say at the beginning of the episode that, you know, if we wanted to use any of the Splinterverse media content in our actual play, that you would be graciously offering us permission to do so. Because it was the court guard that, spoiler alert, the players have found themselves in some shit. (laughs) So the court guards could be a very useful NPC type uh, for the Eladrin court that they're going to find themselves in. So I was very happy to go ahead and... yeah. My little storyteller heart was like, yes. Yes, please. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you've already got a story for it. That's awesome. Oh, yes. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've actually said this a couple of times already tonight, but the thing that struck me most about this book was how integral storytelling was to the writing of the book. You know, this isn't just a book with like, okay, here's our subclass chapter and here's our character generation chapter and here's our spells and here are our feats. Every little bit 
that could hook into one of the adventures that you've got in here mentions, hey, if you're going to be doing this, weave it into this part of the thing. You know, Use the wild roll table. Here's how you can get into the adventure hooks, that kind of thing. So I, you know, again, I want to pick your brain a little bit about that. Again, yeah. like how conscious was that or how important was that to when you were constructing the book? Essential to me because some people are moved by logic, mechanical things. Some people are moved by emotion. And I want both in the book. I wanted to grab you from an emotional standpoint and the story hooks, and then also the logical thinking person that's more gravi- gravitates more to the mechanics. I want them to be drawn to the mechanics. I don't want one or the other to be at the forefront and the other pushed to the side or ignored completely. It's just it's just not me. There's everybody responds to books, reads books differently, so it was important to me to do that. And you mentioned Duallis earlier. And I wrote Duallis. And the way that I did it was I waited till everything was almost done. And then I wrote Duallis because I thought I've absorbed all of this stuff that we've written and I've read it so many times that I'm sure it will just seep out of me when I go into what I call my heart space when I'm writing. And it did. I mean, so many little things came out. There was only one thing we wrote after Duallis because I was like, I'm feeling like there needs to be small and large versions of creatures because of what I'm doing with Duallis. So we need to come up with a way to alter monster size. And so that's how we ended up with that section. But but yeah, so it all kind of blended together that way. And then other places like the bestiary, having those adventure hooks, I just felt like I could just have a white space here. There's no nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> what more value could I bring? What more value could I bring to these DMs? There's going to be a new DM that picks, picks up this book, and I want to help that person. I want them to be able to look at these adventure hooks and say, oh, I have an idea. I can create a story with this. You know, So we filled in those little white spaces with adventure hooks just because we thought value, value, value here. Yeah. That's such a great idea. I mean, something that, again- Amazing way to look at it. Though, and- yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's a great sort of approach. I think that it's something that people who are looking to put together content like this should pay attention to filling those white spaces with useful information for the people that are picking it up for the first time. Adventure hooks are such an amazing thing. And the fact that you're seeding them in with each thing makes it wonderful because having like a table of 10, 20 adventure hooks at the beginning of a book or at the end of a book or just in the adventure section is great. But when it comes to helping storytellers, hey, I love this creature. I want to lift them and put them into my adventure. That you need something more individualized. So it becomes something that you either concede into any adventure, you concede into one of these adventures. And you do that by yeah. putting adventure hooks with each creature. And that's, um, yeah, note to self, that's definitely something I'm going to start doing. Or yeah. even even reference another part of the book. I mean, there's a couple of a little adventure hooks that kind of reference a different creature or a different yeah, place. And horn. so, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys don't know which thing was written by which person, but in some cases I wanted to cross-reference to make sure that people's stuff was well-received and seen. And yeah, what I would tell the writers as I was working with them is we're going to be hard on you in these edits, but because my goal is for every part of this book to be someone's favorite part of this book. So if I don't treat the edits that I'm doing as life or death for every single piece, it's not going to turn out that way. There's going to be pieces that are kind of and pieces that are great and in between. And so there were some tough edits, but the team is phenomenal. I can't say enough about them. Yeah. I remember the first time when I started scrolling through, you know, and I just kind of wanted to get like an overhead of the book and kind of look through and everything like that. And I'm, I'm scrolling through the pages on, in my digital reader here. And I got the picture of the Feynorn, <laughs> the beautiful art with this like smoke and skeleton monster with all the hands and ghostly. And, and I was like, Whoa, what the, what is that? And then scroll up and it's got all the lore. It's got everything like that. It's got these fantastic adventure hooks. I mean, I was sucked into the story of the Feynorn from the very beginning. And it's so, the book is just put together so smartly, so intelligent. Thank you. It's really a cool thing to see. So, so yeah, for the bestiary, I mean, I would just add that, I mean, for all of our listeners out there in terms of the quality, you know how you're going through the Monster Manual or Mordekin's Book of uh, Tome of Foes or any of the bestiaries that you're looking at. 
some of them have a lot of information and they seem like, you know, complete and they've got, they've got good detail and some of them are quick, short blurbs, stat block. That's it. Their beat. This bestiary is literally a full entry for every creature. Every one is thought out and storied and has lore. It's, it's really impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But I had a question for you, Jimmy. Yes. We talked about subclasses earlier. Right? A couple of them. <laughs> so, of the subclasses that have been put together in your book, which one is your favorite or would you be most excited to play? Oh my gosh. And I why? think the the cosmic caller because i just like that you can have this companion that looks so different and when we got the artwork it just took my breath away because i didn't tell the artist how to create the creature because i really do believe our, our artists should also be allowed to just express themselves and so i gave the artist kind of a list of the possibilities that we were going to mention in the book hoping that the artist would feel some inspiration and when it came back jason jenkins the artist on this I was just, my breath was just taken away because seeing that panther type creature that was just yeah. covered in leaves, I was leaves. like, wow. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and I just love this concept, the story of patrolling the places where the planes are at their weakest overlap, you know, because it's just yeah. such story potential and just, ah, I don't know. I love it. There's so many, yeah. but that's one of my favorites. Fantastic. And Fantastic. Yeah, the, the Ranger subclass for the Cosmic Caller I thought was really groovy too. And I loved yeah. that image as well. Yeah. And the three different versions, so to speak, that yeah. you can set up based on your own individual flavor for the different beasts was one of my favorite parts about the subclass. Yeah. Giving people choice and versatility even yeah. after you're yeah. committed into the class, I think is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got elemental connections. It's got far realm connections. So it doesn't have to be Feywild. Yes, you can have a Fey beast, but there's two other types because we really were concerned about making sure that these translated to other things after, yeah. you know, which lights done. Right. right. Yeah. Well, one of the things that Glenn has always mentioned whenever we're talking about subclasses and rankings and Josh and I celebrate that and trumpet that as well is there comes a point where your subclass is so specific. It can only work in one kind of game or with one kind of DM or with one kind of party. So why do you end up picking it? Like this is the, the backgrounds you guys talked about in the Witchlight episode being too specific. Yep. Exactly. And so when you are building something and you say, okay, this is a great core, but now let's build in ways to diversify it. So it's like, I really like this core. How can I do it and have it work in game A, game B, in party C? Right. You know, how do I get it so DM Josh or some other DM who might be new would be like, okay, that's cool. Maybe they're not be intending to be terribly fey oriented. Why I don't know. But <laughs> if that's if that's the case, then you can go elemental with it. And, and you know, could you imagine a party with the cosmic collar and the elemental bees of uh, improved four elements monk and and you can start bringing in all these other things you could have an elemental party that would be exceptionally cool totally every yeah. time i read a subclass that grabs me a character starts to form in my mind that's awesome yeah. with the cosmic collar just because lee just hit it again and we've mentioned the elementals before yeah mine was going to be a genasi oh yeah picked the uh i had not picked the element yet because i, I just hadn't dug into the class enough yet, but it was all writing that elemental theme. So I just had to throw that out there because y'all that's so awesome. Honking yeah. my horns for me. <laughs> I'm that way too. I see subclasses and I immediately think builds. My yeah. D D Beyond is littered. Mm. And all I'm thinking is I'm about really is. and a whole lot of really, really fun time adding the stuff you have here to D D yeah. Beyond so I can start playing it at my table and oh, so get out for all the convention games that we do in that. Yeah. So, so awesome here. Solid stuff. I also got to be honest. Part of the reason I loved calligrapher is because I have not been able to decide how to specialize sprocket, my artificer. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not hundred percent happy with any other one, any of the other yeah. ones. And he may become a calligrapher. Oh, uh, he's awesome. an in and out character for our AP or actual yeah. episode, depending on whether or not we have enough Patreons to fill out the episode on any given month. Sometimes Lee yeah. and I guessed in as well, but he's a hoot I, and he might become I, a calligrapher. I can see Sprocket being, be, being a calligrapher. Sprocket is a, what is he? He's a gnome, right? Mm -hmm. like, oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and right, so he's no, definitely he, a tinker. At the moment, he's leaning. He was. He'd been leaning towards alchemy because he's very yeah. scientific. But 
it's more about knowledge than the science. So Clickerfer, yeah. I think fits. Especially better. in Candlekeep, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess in Candlekeep, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The writing instruments, you can do so much with just the stories yeah. on that. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. And Candlekeep. Oh. Perfect. Yeah. I do have to say that, that <laughs> my favorite subclass, I love what you do with the Ranger subclass because so many of the Ranger subclasses in 5e could have used the kind of care and, and attention that you put in this book. So I was so glad to go ahead and see such a robust, well-built Ranger subclass. That's all I'll say about that. Thank you. Yes. My a lot of other favorite, Ranger subclasses are crap. Oh, they're hot garbage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, yes. But my personal favorite, I think that this says more about me than anything else, but man, the evil eye sorcerer. <laughs> just, shit too. Did you know you could have been listening to this episode two days ago? That's right, because early access to our episodes is only one of the benefits that we offer to our Patreon subscribers. You can get early access to every show, exclusive content, and the opportunity to throw dice with your favorite hosts every month. Right now, we're running a membership drive through the end of November for our first anniversary. If we reach 20 subscribers by that date, we will start a regular live show. And when we get to 25 subscribers, we're going to open our tables for a second Patreon-exclusive game. So if the actual play episodes aren't your thing, you can still join your hosts on the download. For more details, go check www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys, where you can subscribe for as little as $1 a month, and thank you for enjoying the show. So much fun. And so uh, that's the kind of the next tough question that I wanted to throw at you, Jamie, was when you were playtesting this, what was like the biggest surprise in terms of what you enjoyed most during the playtest? Like what's the one thing that kind of came out and says, you know what, this is, we did really, really well on this. This is a lot of fun. Everything, all of the feedback was just so good. I mean, you work on this stuff in isolation and then to hear just even today, hearing you guys talk about how you would use it, it just still boggles my mind because you spend so much time alone with these things and you think, oh, it's just a personal private thing. And then it's out there in the wild and stuff. And one of the adventures by Rob Reeve, the Feywild Hunt, there's a cactus in there that's awakened. And one of the players said, does it have little feet? And so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we added that, you know, as as kind of a, a feeling as we were working with that adventure, because it just, you know, just, just you never know what somebody's going to think of that's yeah. just going to tickle you and that you can oh, add. Yeah. I mean, even just uh, when you in that particular adventure, like how the city of Lumbering has the population written on the sign and you get yes. the, the Porsche slap out front. That's, you know, like over, over <laughs> painting the old number and updating it all the time. Like that's like that someone's got that job. Like that's, you know, those sorts of details are what made this book so alive for me. So that's cool. Thank you. And I missed the little feet on the cactus though. That, that's hysterical. That's yeah. yeah. So. Now I'm thinking I need to play the um, Monk of the Way Deep Winter. Yeah. Because, you know, Avatar. And um, oh, that was wicked. That, that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> You're that, making me. That's so cool. That, or you can just go so Sub Zero ish. I mean, you just had Mortal oh, Kombat too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, that one was important to me because it was. A key thought I had at the beginning, which was that, you know, the Feywild isn't always just forest, right? Right. It can be any climate. And so I wanted to make sure that we had in the bestiary monsters for all the different climates and that we worked in things like the way of the deep winter and the winter witch and various things like that so that you could extend the Feywild beyond just the typical jungle or forest. Which plays very much into my ongoing game because this Feywar that I had mentioned happens to be uh, one of the beach beachheads of this war is in the far north. And, you know, people are dealing with fighting all kinds of frost creatures and I'm looking for things to populate that world beyond the, I think, 12 things that are in published books for that, 12 or 13 things. And like, you've given me so many ideas here that I'm going to be able to use. Awesome. I mean, even just creating an arch villain out of one of these new subclasses that people will never have seen before. Yeah. That'll be, that could be an amazing way to wow the players as they come up against their way of the deep winter monk who is sub zero. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. 
<laughs> when we talked about so Mortal Kombat was one of the side quests that we did oh, probably six months ago or so now, and that was one. Of I finally watched the movie just like two weeks ago. That's why it's oh, in fa- my yeah. Brain. <laughs> <laughs> we, we went through and like statted our favorite characters with with the caveat uh, with the conceit that none of them could be a fighter. Uh, we had to go ahead and figure out something else for that. So uh, that's pretty great, though. So. So essentially, ahead, yeah. Josh is saying we needed this book six months ago. Six months ago, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where were you, Jimmy? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Like, yeah. That was yeah. yeah. That was getting yeah. closer to a year ago now. Oh. Yeah, we're. That was early on. Yeah. That was early on. So I I kind of touched on these a little bit before, uh, kind of at the beginning of the episode. But one thing I I did kind of want to again kind of pick your brain on was the fake glamours section and mm-hmm. how. I don't mean this with any judgment one way or the other, but there's a lot of complexity in these glamours. There's a lot of variation and everything like that. So what was kind of the thought process behind building those and building all of this complexity into it? How did you even kind of approach that? Pro- what was the problem you were trying to solve with it? And and how did you you approach it? Because I mean, that's, that's a thick numbers heavy chapter. So yeah, so the optional rules chapter, well, let me back up. When I started the process for the book, I did an open call and we got hundreds of submissions. It was a challenge for me to go through and say, okay, which of these am I going to pick? Because there were so many great ones. I wish I could have picked them all, honestly. And Jacob War, who submitted the Fake Glamours and a couple of the encounters, had this sort of just a couple sentences about fade glamours and and it sounded really good. And I wasn't sure exactly what it was, but I had a feeling that it would be something awesome. And so when it got to me, I saw that it was kind of like a template, but on a much smaller scale. And I liked it because I thought, well, I really haven't seen anything like this. And I know that people tweak monsters. They'll just, you know, remove an ability, add a trait, whatever. And I thought this is kind of a small scale template where it's a way to sort of feify a creature. And so I, I really liked it. And I thought, okay, now we needed to tweak it a little bit through editing just to get it to where, you know, where you see it today, as with all things. But I really liked the heart of it and the core of like, you could just swap out even one action or one trait for this yeah. and just give that feel to any kind of character or any kind of creature. Yeah. So it was really just about experimenting and the optional rules chapter was really a place to do that because it's optional. You don't have to use these things. And there were submissions that came in that just kind of didn't fit anywhere else in the book, and but they were kind of rules or things to try. We did add the altering monster size later because of my work with the domain that we created. But yeah, it just it started as a submission and sort of evolved into what you see now. Cool. It struck me as like almost a better version of the Fae Touched feet, right? From Tasha's. Yeah. Where it's like Fae Touched kind of gives a couple of Fae things and it's, it's, it's that. It's almost like you, you took that and it's like, you know what? I'm going to crank that up to 11 and really, really you know, kind of illustrate what Fae Touched is. Well, what does being yeah. touched by the Fae actually mean? And so uh, never being one to shy away from any sort of complexity. And that's why I want to make sure that I'm no judgment whatsoever. It's more just like, I can see how complexity can sometimes be tough to manage. And But the again, just kind of the way that you went through this, it shows such care to the details. It, it's really kind of mind boggling how you. how you could put something like that together. And it's so impressive, like at, in every sense of the word. So oh, thank you so much for other creators out there. Not that you necessarily want. Yeah, no. Copying is the best, best form of flattery. Just don't plagiarize. Right. So the way you show breaking it down to add fey flavor to any fake creature, the way you broke down the formula between the brackets and the specific list of steps as you created it. So that it could literally become a different fake glamour for any creature just based on how you mix and match that in and of itself. I mean, it is, it does create complication and you don't want to necessarily put it on every creature you're running in your game or let every uh, character have access to it. But it fuels the imagination for other ways you could try to alter or change creatures. It gives kind of like a flowchart of, hey. It's a model that you can emulate, for sure. To me, my degree is in English, and I spent 10 years in traditional publishing. And it's super critical to me that 
things be clear. And when you get into mechanical things like the fake glamours, I really wanted there to be examples. And I said, we're going to use whatever white space we have to do as many examples as will fit because I really want people to get it and not be cursing Splinterverse Media or the book (laughs) or, you know, throwing the book down and saying, I can't, I can't, I don't want that bad experience. And so- Not everybody's going to need that. that (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, I was glad we had room for them. I wasn't sure we would when we were doing layout, but we did. Yeah. It takes a lot of confidence in your project to put just a table of nothing but a table of values on an entire page. Like that's the kind of thing that like, that we all need when we're looking at it, you know, like the talk about the, the size category increases and the decreases column, like that needed to be in there somewhere. And the way that you put it in between all of that narrative and all of those examples and everything like that, it makes that page not scary. Again, there's so much, you so much, you put this together so smartly, you know, it's like, yeah. It wasn't like that when it got to me. And I said, look, Matt wrote this and he's a number or they're a numbers person. And I am not. And I said, (laughs) I'm going to screw this up and I'm going to, I'm going to show you how I was doing examples. And I'm like, look, I got the wrong number. I said, we need to, we need to expand this so that you can literally say, okay, put my finger on the left-hand side and then put it on the top and then move them together. And then when you get to the spot in the middle, that's the one. And then you've got it right. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt was so kind to work with me through a bunch of examples because I was kept getting it wrong. And I'm like, I know, I know this works, but I'm just doing it wrong. And so, yeah, we ended up getting to that table that you see. Well, as a fellow English major, I applaud you and congratulate you and thank you with all that I am Uh because that is exactly the kind of conversation that I very typically have with Josh about certain technical things, Glenn with about (laughs) about other technical things. I'm like, look, I'm not a dumb guy, but I am not hooking this up in my brain right now. Like I really need basic. What's the phrase I use all the time, Josh? Teach me how to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And I've never seen anything involved before. Yeah, yeah. And I really need that sometimes to grasp it. It's actually why I struggle with new game systems. A lot of times when there's a new game that I'm interested in, I'll do something really crazy like, Glenn, read this and tell me how to play it. Because I'm not putting it together in my head if it's not really intuitive. This chart is exceptionally intuitive and it really works for English major minds like mine and apparently yours as well. So I love hearing that story. As the resident numbers guy, I appreciate you putting this chart in there for Louie and Nika. Like that's, (laughs) so that's, 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 yeah, I figured it would work for numbers people and for English people. And it's all, it's all about the reader experience. I want them to want to come back and try another book from Splinterverse. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. you got I, me. I think you've got three, you've, you've got three customers right here for sure. So hopefully, oh, and hopefully everybody out there listening goes and checks this out. So Glenn, do you have other questions before we, I do. Before we dive I've got into two yeah, more questions ahead. at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Have at it. Yeah. So my absolute favorite totally caught me off guard. Wasn't expecting it at all. Element of the book was flowers of the Feywild. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I mean, it's in the magic item section, which is exactly where it belongs. Yep. Just totally out of, never even dreamed that something like this would be coming, but love it so much. Yeah, because the flowers of the farewell would have to be magical. So how did this come to life? Whose mind did this spring from? Well, this is awesome. I'm sad to say it wasn't my mind with my last name being Flowers. It should have been, but it was not. See, and I thought I was teeing that up for you. <laughs> it was actually Daniel Nottingham who had not been published in the TTT RPG space before. And he submitted a pitch and it was in there. And I was like, whoa, this concept of flowers that kind of function like spells. Hmm, let's see what this is about. And, and so I picked his submission And we went through a number of iterations and it actually resembled very different things originally. And what we landed on was this as a dual purpose thing. It can be a a new type of consumable. So it's an item that can travel, but it also can be kind of like a hazard where you encounter it and things happen if you just encounter it in the wild. And we thought this is so perfect for the Feywild because people are always like, well, what is the Feywild? It's a brighter version of the material plane. Well, what does that mean? And what am I looking at? And it's like, let's, let's create these very visual ways of making it feel like you are somewhere 
other than what you're used to. And flowers and flora are always things that I'm interested in. I've done plants in some of my other books. And so it was so fun working with Daniel because he was just so excited to be working on something that was going to be published and, you know, so new to this and just such a great sport on tweaking these and coming up with so many different flowers. And we just had fun. I told him, I'm like, this is going to be such a feature to market this book because a new type of consumable, how often does that happen? Right. Right. So a a dual purpose one at that. And there's not just two or three of them. Like this is an extensive, amazing list. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Along the lines of that, I really love the concept of cold iron. It's something we've tossed around and talked about from time to time is a mechanic for something that has some bonuses, but is not necessarily magic. And I love the concept of cold iron. Um, It is probably one of the very first things that I'm going to port in. In fact, I actually am already working on getting it into the game I'm running this Saturday. When I read it, I knew you were going 100% for that. You know, very low magic. I love that concept. And it speaks to so many things I love. The concept of elements and materials having merit and benefit and detriment involved with the Fae speaks to hedge lore from ages past in the real world that really resonates in my story type of storytelling. It calls to mind things like supernatural. I mean, I actually picture Sam and Dean needing cold iron to deal with some kind of beastie. You know, that kind of thing I think really works so well. And I'm absolutely in love with that kind of thing. I did have one question, but I'm going to save my question for the very last question from all of us. So, Glenn, you said you had two. If you want to go with your second question, then I'm going to hit up uh, our dear friend with uh, one last question. All right. Well, it's less specific and more things that I think we need to discuss. So that's fine. You you can save your question. But we've talked about most of the sections of something for most of the sections of the book. I want to take us back to the beginning because we totally passed by the character origins options of the Feybound, the Green Seer, and the Killerin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I thought that these in particular, like going with the concept of the Reborn and things introduced in Van Richten's, following that origins theory, you know, you started out one thing, but you become Feybound because of your time there. These were really, really, really well written. And I thought that they were really cool. The Killerin being revived again i think that that one's really groovy uh they were a cool race before and they well y'all have made them cool again but uh talk to us about the character origins whether or not it's which one's your favorite yeah so i had done a whole book on lineages time to come out with van richten's guide to ravenloft called van richten's Libram of lineages and i just love lineages because i feel like they give you the opportunity to embed story into your character because there's this in- inherent conflict in the concept, right? And in that book, there's some very, very <laughs> story-driven concepts. So when it came to this book, I'm like, I want to go back into lineages and create another one. So I created one called The Fey Lost, but then somebody else decided to use that name. And so <laughs> I changed it to The Fey Bound, but I'm actually glad that that happened because I feel like it's a much better name for the lineage and it, and it actually could be a fae loss could be a fae bound or vice versa you know they, they could yeah. be the same but yeah so i wrote that one and i just had a lot of fun with it because i thought what would happen if you spent just an inordinate amount of time in the fae wild and then you tried to come back like what would some of the lingering effects be and to me a lineage at its core if you want to have a unique lineage it should have something that is integral to the character. And so this notion of the Feywild trigger and that that sometimes they would feel like they were back there because they'd spent maybe even millennia there, that they would just suddenly be back there. And in that particular trait, I wanted to play with, what about these other numbers on the D20? Because one and 20 get a lot of attention, but there's other numbers on there. How can we leverage the fact that those other numbers aren't paid attention to? And so with that ability, when you roll that 
D20, if you land on the number that's been selected as your trigger, a wild effect happens. And I also love wild effects and wild surges and all that stuff. So it was a way to bring those in. Huge fan of wild magic. (laughs) And you can always never have too many of those, right? So it was a way to bring those in. And then also I wanted to toy with the idea of of having an ability that worked one way in the Feywild and another outside of it. Because I just thought, when else am I going to have an opportunity to do something like that? And so I worked that in. Then we had room to add another one. And so John McLeod, who had written The Glass Whale Creature and done such a great job with that, I asked him, do you want to create another lineage? And then he pitched four or five different ones. And there were some other really good ones, one of which I'm hoping to use in a future book. But we landed on the Green Seer, which is this lineage where you've basically become a plant because of various things that could have happened. You fell asleep in the wrong place in the Feywild or something else you know, happened and we have a whole list of possible origins. But just this notion that you can create these various flowers of the Feywild on you that you then use you know, as blossoms to do various effects just seemed really fun and visual. And I feel like there's so much there. There's mechanics for people that like mechanics and then people that want to be very visual and come up with what their plan affinity is. You know, the, the drawing that we have by Jason Jenkins, it's got this birch skin and leaves for hair. It's, it's just so fun. I mean, where, yeah. where else are you going to see that and be able to create <laughs> that? So I will say when I read the Feybound and when uh, part of it might've been the image and I'm not exactly sure what it was about the image that spawned this, but the whole concept of the Feybound reminded me so much of aspects of shadow and bone, Mm -hmm. like people who Mm -hmm. would spend a lot of time and, you know, who would spend a lot of time in the void there, or even like when the Grisha get connected with their particular avatar and stuff like that. Like, it's just like, it was like, yep. I know where this is going. I know I have a feeling for this. And uh, it really, it just, it triggered that for me. It's so good to hear you like connecting emotionally to this because that was the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I love feats that are tied to ra- the racial statistic or lineage statistics. So the killer on feet, I really loved. And I've got a couple builds in mind for, for killer yeah, as awesome. well. So, awesome. Yeah. I love the wild event, uh, the wild effects being tied to a particular number on your D20 roll. So like every time you roll a 13 right. or whatever, like it's those sorts of details that are just so, again, I keep using the same word. They're just so smart, Jimmy. <laughs> like, they're you. just it's, like, so like, why didn't anybody else ever think of that? <laughs> it's, we want to innovate, you know, and it's like, yeah. there's a lot of books out there to pick. And so yeah. my hope is that whenever you crack open a Splinterverse book, you'll, you'll see something you've never seen before, hopefully. Hmm. Cool. I would definitely 100% agree with that. And the last yeah, thing that I wanted to, like that. Yeah. I wanted to point out in the book before I'll let Lee ask his final question was bouncing into the encounter section. And we don't want to give anything away for people who might listen and then later wind up playing one of these, but just the dance gauntlet <laughs> by itself was enough to tell me, wow, they'd really tried to go like, totally outside of the box and work with the Fey concept in terms of coming up with the way the encounters would be structured and making them not be straightforward, easy, skill-focused or combat-driven. All of the encounters are really well-written, super creative, and I love the dance gauntlet, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, Sven Truckenbot did that one, and it was so fun. It was one of the first ones I got to read, and I was like, wow, this is just fun. And we committed to also be like Witchlight, where everything in the book can be combat or non-combat, because we wanted to go along with that. And and so, yeah, you can just dance your way out of it. Who can say no to a Which dance off? Is really freaking awesome. Yeah, it took me. No it to took me off. right down to the end of Guardians of the Galaxy with the dance yep. off. Yeah, yeah. Oh it, it was awesome. <laughs> yes. So very love that, well. love that movie. Oh. Yeah. yeah, James Gunn did an, an amazing thing when he put that on film. Like he was speaking to it, a universal truth. Um, I guess it falls to me. My final question is, is you have so many other books that we are now going to be delving into getting a look at. And, and I'm definitely focused on this because that's what I'm work. We're working with right now and the part of the game that I'm going into, but my goodness, my question is less of a question, more of a statement. It is please stay in touch. (laughs) please come back to our show yeah and by all means whenever you are doing a new project and you have new news new information if you just want to announce an open call 
let us know so we can help get the word out. This okay. is an amazing, amazing book. It is Thank an amazing you. product. And a, this is a portal into the Feywild that I think does some things that not even the official book ha- did. You know, by a lot, man. I mean, you guys by have always a, a been super fan. You and yeah. Josh have always been super fan. And I've been yeah. Fey adjacent. Yeah. I'm okay with some Fey bullshit, but I haven't been as Fey dedicated as y'all. Yeah. This is turning me yeah. more into oh, awesome. the Fey with you. So, yeah. Josh, and we and do mean Fey as a compliment too. By the yes, way, yeah, yeah. Consider Fey bullshit. No better awesome. way to sum it up. <laughs> I can honestly say that we talked about what we had hoped the Fey book this year would be like, and what we got, we really like. We truly like it a lot. Love it, to be honest. But it wasn't exactly what we were looking for. This is the book we were looking. This for. is the book. It, yeah. Right, we were looking this for a campaign we setting. We weren't looking for an adventure module, and yeah. this is what we were looking for. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the show. And uh, yeah. I mean, classing up the joint because we. Yeah. Can- <laughs> <laughs> well, I love your show. I just discovered it, but I love it. You know, I really enjoyed the discourse, and you guys keep it entertaining. You guys are not just all fluff. You're you're definitely offering good uh, constructive criticism in the episodes I've listened to and I'm going to be listening and I definitely want to come back. You aren't going to have to wait that long for my next book. It's coming out on the 25th of this month. So, Oh, oh. yes. Oh, okay. Breaking news. Yes. <laughs> wait a minute. Okay. So you just put this book out like two weeks ago. Yes. And you have another book coming out at the end of the month. Yes. It's okay. not going to be yeah. this big. It's, okay. it's, <laughs> I was going to say, you've got another 150-page book I'd not out there, Jimmy. Gonna, Do you yeah. sleep? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's got a um, portal to a realm where time doesn't <laughs> quite work the way it works here. I wish. Oh, I oh, wish. Nice. Well, so can you tell us what the new book is, or, or is it still a secret? A teaser? There's something that comes out on the 26th from Wizards, so it's connected mm-hmm. to that. Okay. And like this book – you know, the Feywild Companion, we kind of had the same feeling as you about what we wanted for the Feywild. And so we strategically said, let's make this book maybe the complement to the Witchlight so that if you buy these two books, you kind of feel like you have the complete picture of what you need to do. So this is going to do the same thing for Fizzbands, hopefully. Cool. I love it. Cool. I love it. So we're going to have to have another sit down like this (laughs) shortly thereafter. Yeah. So yeah. we can talk again, talk about yeah. that one, and we will, I, we will find space in the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'll come uh, back anytime you guys want. I, I love your oh, show, and awesome. I love chatting with you. That's so so nice of you, Jimmy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. So please, uh, how can people get this book, all your other books? How can they get in touch with you all over at Splinterverse Media and uh, connect with you? Sure. So I'm at Splinterverse on Twitter, Facebook. YouTube. Um, you can contact me through any of those channels. If you go on the DMs Guild or drive through RPG and you search for Splinterverse, you'll find all the books that I've created. And I love hearing from people. I love hearing stories about, you know, you played one of the subclasses or whatever and what happened or just feedback or, or anything. I love hearing from everyone. So please come follow me. I do a weekly uh, YouTube video on new releases from the DMs Guild and drive through. So if you want to come hear me ramble for two hours about the new releases of from those sites <laughs> and you can do that i always you know enjoy having new viewers there so yeah Fabulous. hit me up cool yeah absolutely we definitely will we recently just started doing some youtube content like our first one was two nights ago our second one which will be live shortly after yeah, we finish here so we're dabbling and getting started so yeah yeah we'll definitely awesome. make sure we're uh, we're watching and directing yeah. folks to you likewise well. Yeah, and everybody out there listening, please go check this stuff out on DMs Guild. You will not regret it. No, the Feywild book is fantastic. It, like you said, Jimmy, anybody that listened to our Feywild episode, we were happy with the book that we got, but it wasn't the book that we wanted. Your book is the book that we wanted. And, and oh, so it's so, so happy kind. This, so. I heard you yeah. say that when I listened to the episode. And I'm like, I wonder if, if my book helped <laughs> meet the yeah. needs. So it's so good to hear. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. So awesome. Jimmy, thank you so very much for popping in again. Uh, we will absolutely be in touch uh, because we want to go ahead and hear about your Fizzbins book or your, your dragon themed book when, uh, when Fizzbins comes out uh, and see what you've got in there. And uh, you will always absolutely. have a spot on this show to go ahead and come and talk about if they, uh, if any of the books that you come out that, that you put out are half as good as this one, you'll have a space on here to go ahead and talk about them. So awesome. thank you so thank very much you. for joining us tonight. Yeah. Thank you. We'll yeah. yeah. Have an amazing night. 
You too. Thanks, Everyone, go check out Splinterverse Media. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.